Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Listeners, welcome. Returning listeners, welcome back. Have you ever wondered, who the F am I? Why do I do the things I do? If you have felt pushed, pulled, tugged around, and yanked around by life and felt completely out of control, this episode is for you. Today, we're talking all about self inquiry which is a really powerful practice that has helped me really, really address my nagging chronic emptiness, my spiritual starvation, my constant torturing myself about who am I with my identity issues. This is a tool that has really helped me. It is my hope that it will help you too. Make sure to stay until the very end because I close out the episode with some practical exercises and journaling prompts that can help you put all of the stuff we talk about in today's episode into practice. And as a extra little special treat with everything that's going on in the world right now, I have put some singing bowls behind the episode today. Crystal singing bowls are so fantastically relaxing. It felt appropriate today with the topic that we're talking about. I wanted this to feel really cozy, meditative, and healing, this talk that we're going to have together. And I hope you like it. I hope that it's something different and new. So with that, let's roll that intro and then we'll hop straight into the episode. Thanks everyone. You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast... We'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, we'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode.
Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It is really great to be here with you. I want to acknowledge first everything that's going on in the world this week. It's really heavy, and I know a lot of us are really feeling it. And it's always so hard to feel like there's nothing that you can do to help. I just want to acknowledge what everyone around the world is going through with everything that's going on with Ukraine, with the pandemic, just, it's a lot. And if you're feeling that this week, know that you're not alone and give yourself the compassion and kindness and make sure to acknowledge that everyone collectively is going through something right now that deserves to be recognized and held and understood. I thought a lot this week about what I wanted to talk about and I hope you all know I just want to share with you it's like it's it's weird doing a podcast because eight months ago I didn't even think anyone would ever want to hear me talk (laughs) so I just started talking and now that I'm developing an audience we just hit over a hundred thousand downloads i think it was about four or five days ago and i'm just so flabbergasted every single time and so i think like what do i want to say and then i think wow so many people are listening to this it's a lot of pressure and so i like to share my actual authentic thoughts with all of you it's good pressure though like i i'm like wow i really want to be intentional with what i share with all of you i really want to i put to so much thought into what I want to make my episodes about and I recently asked for feedback and in the last couple of episodes about whether you want more interviews whether you want more solo episodes and the overwhelming feedback was we like the interviews but we really want more solo episodes so I'm gonna definitely be doing more of these and I'm being really intentional about what I want to talk about and what I want to share And this week, I decided I wanted to talk about self-inquiry. So many of us that seek help for our mental health in this day and age, whether that be for BPD, CPTSD, or any other mental health symptom or diagnosis, we are thrown medications or short-term therapy. And while those things can be really, really effective... I often found with those solutions alone, like just those things, I often found myself feeling better for a short period of time and then I would like sink back into the baseline. And what has worked, not worked, what has helped for me has been going deeper, learning about myself, learning about the hero's journey, learning about myths, symbols, archetypes, diving into spirituality But diving into spirituality in a way that didn't cringe me out. It is so hard to find spiritual resources lately that don't feel like they're trying to sell you something, that don't feel like so cringy. (laughs) At least for me. Like, I get very easily turned off by religious and spiritual stuff if it doesn't like hit my notes just right. Because I don't like feeling sold. Too, and I don't like feeling 
like someone's trying to convince me of, of their way. And so something that I think that I want to share with all of you more and more on the podcast is how I'm connecting to my own sense of spirituality and avoiding like the cringe and avoiding like the all or nothing thinking and the this is the one way. I'm, I think I'm slowly but surely finding it and I'm going to share it all with you. And I just want you to know that everything I share just with everything else and this is a really powerful message to pass on to each and every one of you is take what resonates and leave the rest. That's a saying from AA. <laughs> um, I used to work at a drug and alcohol rehab center when I was in college and I went to a lot of AA and NA meetings with the clients and the clients were the addicts that were in the treatment center and they said in the meetings quite often is like take what resonates with you and leave the rest right because there's always something we can't just reject all of a message just because like it it brings something up in us and just like turn it tune it all out and maintaining an open curious mind is something that has changed the game for me in my recovery because i used to be a really close-minded person, especially when my BPD and CPTSD symptoms were at their worst. And by worst, I mean my life was chaotic and I felt like I had no control and I felt like everyone else was the problem except for me. There was always a drama. And the more that I realized how much I viewed the world in like black or white, all or nothing thinking. I was never the problem. Everyone else was. That is what really kept me stuck. What has opened my mind is the spiritual resources that I'm finding and the therapeutic tools that I'm finding that are allowing me to have more of an open mind. Now, For those of you who have BPD that listen to this, there is a therapeutic model called dialectical behavior therapy, or also known as DBT. And there's a newer form of therapy that's sort of a branch off of DBT called radically open dialectical behavior therapy, and it's being called RODBT. You're going to be hearing about it a lot more in the coming years. It's it's new. But in DBT and RODBT, it's heavily based upon mindfulness and remaining open and accepting. And for those of you who aren't aware, Marsha Linehan, the creator of dialectical behavior therapy, is a Zen master. Her thinking and dialectical behavior therapy takes a lot from Buddhist thought. I've dived in a lot. Um, in the last year about religious thought and philosophical thought, spiritual ways of thinking, and I'm taking what resonates and I'm leaving the rest. And there's a lot that I've found that has resonated. And there's a lot that I've found that didn't resonate with me and I left that part, right? But what I've realized is that having an open and curious mind is allowing me to feel better for longer stretches of time. 
as I've talked about on the Instagram and the podcast many times before, I think it's a really big mistake to get in our minds that we're ever going to be healed from whatever mental illness that we have been diagnosed with. Healing is never over, even for people that are neurotypical. There is no healed. We are on a journey, and that journey never ends, and there's going to be peaks and valleys. There's going to be really high times. There's going to be really low times, and we can never guarantee that there's never going to be a low time, right? And the spiritual tools that I'm finding and collecting along the way are allowing me to realize what it feels like to live a fulfilled life, but then also realize that I'm going to have hard times too and that I'm never going to be free of all anxiety and depression and all of these things. What recovery actually looks like is being more aware of our patterns and our coping mechanisms and the the ways that we behave that keep us stuck and make it harder for us to keep a job, keep relationships, feel okay in our own bodies. But the more and more we're aware of those things, the less that the natural and inevitable anxieties and depressions are going to throw us off course or make it impossible for us to exist in our bodies and our lives. I hope that makes sense for you. That is a realistic picture of recovery and healing. An unrealistic picture of recovery and healing is one where we are done. We go to the therapy, we finish the therapy, and then we are healed or cured. (laughs) And even me saying it out loud, it sounds so stupid, right? It's like, of course I don't feel that way. But that's just it we have this unconscious belief in our mind that there is a magical finish line at the end. And so therefore, when we don't get to that magical finish line, you know, when you've been in therapy for six months and you're like, I still have down days, like what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you, right? But you may not be going deep enough. You may not be diving into self-inquiry and learning about your unconscious patterns and behaviors and and diving deep enough into those things to become more familiar with yourself. The more I know myself, the more of a professional surfer of the waves of life (laughs) I become. And you can do that too. That is the mark of a, a strong, resilient person that understands what a life worth living looks like a life experienced as worth living looks like is becoming a more professional surfer of the waves we're not just falling off our surfboards every time we try to get up that life it's hard it makes experiencing life a lot harder so now that i've kind of opened this up i want to talk today about a concept called self-inquiry and it's a spiritual concept it's a therapeutic concept It's a concept that helps you begin to know yourself better. It's a concept that's helped me know myself better. It has been a concept that I think should be taught in schools. It's a crime that we are not taught self-inquiry. We are not taught to know ourselves better. 
as we're growing up. We're all deprived. We've talked about this on the podcast before, this spiritual deprivation that we all have. And that doesn't mean religious deprivation. I'm talking about spirituality to me is about knowing yourself and being so deeply familiar with you and who you are and knowing that so well that we feel in control of our reactions and our emotions and that gives you such a solid grounding in this life that's what spirituality means to me and i want to use my podcast more and more to pass this type of thought on to you because while therapy even these shorter form of therapies and medications they are amazing don't get me wrong but they have to be partnered with self-inquiry and knowing yourself to talk about self-inquiry we have to talk about blind spots we all have these blind spots are those unconscious biases that we each bring into the situations we experience acknowledging that we have blind spots that each of us are limited in terms of our self-knowledge that's very important just recognizing that as a fact every single one of us has more to learn about ourselves when i think about blind spots it's hard for me not to think about how I was when I was younger and not even that much younger than I am now. I talk about this before, but I'm 32 and I would say that the ages of my life where things were most chaotic were probably between the ages of like 13 to 25, I would say. And I would even say up closer to like 26 or 27. Those were those were the hardest years, I think, if I zoom out. And I had so many blind spots. When I'm honest with myself, I realize I lacked empathy. It was the Molly show. Everything was all about me. And every single one of you really like think about that. I think so many of us would say that we had a lot of empathy. But when we really think back, I don't think I had the capacity to put myself in other people's shoes genuinely. I was so concerned about what was going on with me. And I had very little idea of how I was perceived by others when I interacted with them. And I think I often intimidated people and I used silence and stonewalling and gaslighting to gain control over the interactions I had. And I would make excuses for that in my own mind. And I was able to receive very little direct feedback about how I affected others. And it's no wonder with how I was acting. And when I did get feedback, I ignored it or I would like lash out against it. I was so unaware of all of my blind spots. And when I think back on that younger me, I'm first, I'm filled with compassion for her. But mostly I wish that she had gotten the tools she needed to learn more about herself at a younger age. It would have saved me many years of pain and many, many hurt people and damaged relationships and damage to myself, quite frankly, psychologically, spiritually, physically. 
mentally in every capacity. And I wish the younger version of myself had been taught self-inquiry because it would have made a huge difference in my life. So why? Why self-inquiry, right? Why is that so important? And what is it? (laughs) You're like, Molly, okay, this is a fucking big ass (laughs) buildup. In order to explain what self-inquiry is, we need to take a look at what it is and how it helps us learn about our blind spots. So self-inquiry is a central practice in the new evidence-based therapy called Radically Open DBT that I was telling you all about earlier in the intro. And this therapy is designed for people who are over-controlled, which basically someone who has over-controlled emotional tendencies are people who are excessively self-controlled or inhibited. But this practice is also helpful for anyone who's interesting in learning more about self-inquiry. So for example, I'm under-controlled, which means I'm very impulsive. I'm very emotionally reactive. I do things without thinking about them. Someone like my partner, Zaz, I would consider him to be more over-controlled. He's very, he's the opposite of me. He's not impulsive at all. He really thinks about what he does before he does, does it. He's more OCD type personality where I'm just like bull in a China shop overreacting, very impulsive. Um, so just painting a picture of you about what over-controlled and under-controlled are and radically open DBT and just I knew about self-inquiry actually before I even knew about RODBT. And even though that's for over-controlled people, I found this to be profoundly helpful for me. Self-inquiry is a kind of mindfulness practice where you ask yourself good questions to help you find what's called your edge. And your edge is your personal unknown, the place where you have something to learn. And through Taking us to our edge, self-inquiry helps us to understand our experiences in new ways. We can develop new behaviors and we can fill in our blind spots. But the good news is is there's always going to be more blind spots to fill in, right? It's like we said before, we are never done with this work. As we get older... And as we change in our lives, we will develop new blind spots and we just have to continuously become aware. And the beauty of self-inquiry is that it's never finished. It's just a habit. It's something that we make part of our lives. So our edge usually occurs in situations where we feel uncomfortable. An edge can often be found whenever we find ourselves struggling with a feeling, ruminating about a problem, strongly defending against a rejecting feedback or criticism or quickly agreeing with feedback or criticism from others. And we can often feel our edge in our body, right? It feels like tightness in the chest, rapid breathing, that kind of like butterflies in your stomach feeling, clenching fists. For me, I find myself like clenching my jaw when I'm like unconscious of it, numbness or like desires to like walk away and get away, right? You can feel when you're approaching your edge. 
Practicing self-inquiry can help us see these situations as opportunities for growth rather than as problems. That's what I love about self-inquiry the most is when I would feel like these feelings in my body where I'm like, I just can't take this, I can't take this, I would immediately label that as something being wrong with me. And now I flip that where I start feeling that and I'm like, okay, this is a time for me to do self-inquiry. This is a time for me to learn my learn about myself now. When I'm starting to feel uncomfortable or triggered, I go, okay, time to learn a lesson, isn't it? Cool. Life's never going to give you a choice when it's time to learn something. When we feel uncomfortable, we are being asked to learn something about ourselves. It's an opportunity for self-inquiry situations where we feel distressed or triggered or we're getting a feeling in our body or how we've discussed on the podcast before we just like overwhelmingly like out of nowhere this happens to me where I just feel like not okay for no reason and I don't have an emotion to put to it I just feel not okay this is really it can be really scary But since I have relabeled this as a moment to do self-inquiry, it's really helped me kind of take my power back in those moments. And I recognize that in those moments, something's telling me that an expectation I have might not be being met. A belief of mine is being challenged. Some feedback is occurring. Or that maybe one of my goals is not being met, right? Instead of me being like, whoa, I feel like I'm not okay right now, or I just want to storm out of the room, it's pretty powerful instead to ask myself, like, is there an expectation that I'm having that's not being met right now? What can I learn about myself, right? So self-inquiry helps us grow from these opportunities to learn so that we can respond more adaptively to ever changing life circumstances. Now that's really important there, my friends. Being adaptive to ever changing life circumstances. Change is the one thing that's inevitable. Life is going to throw us a lot of curveballs. So many of us get really hung up on our childhoods, my, myself included, and also just really caught up on all the shit that's happened in the past that like we're like oh I'm, I'm fucked up because of all this stuff that happened before there's going to be more fucked up shit that's going to happen in our lives guaranteed because life is not a smooth ride for any of us and the key is not to create a life where nothing bad happens because none of us can can create that it's about how we can respond more adaptively to that guaranteed rocky ride that life's going to throw us. Self-inquiry involves turning toward our distress and our triggers instead of away from them. Turning toward them with the intention to learn from it. And self-inquiry involves looking for that edge that we were talking about or like our personal unknown and asking ourselves good questions that can help us learn. And the most central self-inquiry question is, what do I need to learn from this situation or experience? I want to talk next about the central principles involved in self-inquiry. What are those? So one of those is that self-inquiry involves a willingness 
to courageously challenge our beliefs, convictions, and perceptions of what's true in order to grow. So what does that mean? So many of us are stuck in old patterns of belief and ways of thinking, outdated roles that we were told we had to step into when we were growing up. And quite frankly, it's easier to stay stuck in those old beliefs. What each and every one of you, you my friend listening to this podcast, what you're doing, you're doing right now is not easy. It's harder to break free of those beliefs. Another principle of self-inquiry is that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. I'll say that again. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Self-inquiry focuses on the pursuit of truth, not attaining truth. And this quote, the fact that we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are, it means that every new understanding that we have is limited, it's fallible, and it's potentially biased. And understanding that and holding that in your awareness that everything that I'm witnessing is just based on my own perception and nothing is ever completely true and holding that fact makes you a lot more self-aware than the average human being out there again it's a lot easier to believe what i what i believe is a completely true thing what's harder is believing that nothing maybe is completely all the way true there are different sides there's gray areas to every single belief out there. The third principle of self-inquiry is self-inquiry involves taking responsibility for our beliefs, choices, and perceptions rather than blaming others or the world. It involves a willingness to question ourselves when challenged or threatened rather than immediately defending ourselves. I spoke before about how easy it is to blame everybody else and not think what part what part is my behavior playing in the outcome of this situation there are of course times where we're genuine victims to things happening and i'm not denying that i can speak from personal experience but then i can also speak from personal experience where it was just a lot easier for me to say everyone else is the problem here and I, my behavior doesn't play any part in the outcome of this. Self-inquiry requires us to think first, what am I doing to contribute to the outcome here? That's maturity, folks. That is what maturity is. That's what emotional maturity is. And I am speaking for myself when I can say that I spent probably as I mentioned before, those ages from like 13 to 27-ish, completely immature, blaming everybody else, thinking that my behavior or actions were never at fault for anything that happened in my life. It was just, my life was just a series of unfortunate events because I was unlucky and broken. And that was a really powerless way to feel And now that I'm experiencing the power that comes with some of these tools like self-inquiry, I'm realizing how long I spent in my life feeling a way that I really didn't need to feel. But 
I don't feel shame and neither should you because none of us are taught these things. Very few of us, rather. I don't want to be like all or nothing thinking, right? (laughs) None of us. Most of us are not taught these things, which is why you shouldn't feel shame or guilt for all of the things that you did before you were aware. You can become more aware now, and that's a really powerful realization. Now, the last principle of self-inquiry that I want to talk about is that self-inquiry involves turning toward and learning from the very experiences we want to avoid, discount, or find challenging. Turning towards the pain and instead numbing, suppressing, running away from, we ask, what can I learn from this? This is a This is a challenge. This is an opportunity for me to better understand myself, to train myself and deepen my understanding and my perspective and become more open and curious. What I'm realizing about these concepts like self-inquiry is we don't learn about them in school or from our parents because we are collectively starved of this information. It's not like people are deliberately withholding this information from us, our parents. I mean, I'll be a little conspiracy theorist right now and saying that I would say that large, great powers that be, they don't profit from us being very self-aware, right? Advertisements, um, maybe even sometimes governments, I don't know, right? Like people that want to maintain power for the wrong reasons, I would say that it would make sense that you would want groups of people that are not very self-aware and not very um, skilled at things like self-inquiry because then it's easier to sell them things and ideas, right? And I'm not getting involved in either side of any type of debate. I think all of us can agree that that makes sense, And it's fine. Sometimes the motivation isn't really even anything more sinister than just wanting to make money, right? (laughs) When an advertiser makes an ad that I'm faced with on Instagram and it makes me start having feelings, right? I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, I'm not as beautiful as this girl in the ad. My life isn't this glamorous. I'm never going to look like this. My skin is never going to be that clear. I'm never going to be that happy, etc etc the person then that that's making that ad again even if they're not conscious of it they know that making people want something that they don't have is a really easy way of making money banking on someone not knowing themselves and not being confident in themselves or being um, accomplished at something like self-inquiry that's going to make them money so these things and these power structures and people out here acting like this and trying to make money off of us that stuff is always going to exist we're never going to live in a world where everybody is um has good intentions and there's sunshines and rainbows right but what we can do is become better at knowing ourselves and when uncomfortable thoughts or feelings arise because of people places situations things ads whatever it may be We take it as a moment of growth. We take it as a moment to look within rather than looking outside of ourselves. So everyone has the feeling of being myself. We know what that feels like, right? Like I was just being myself. I made it, you know, whatever. But not everybody knows their self clearly. 
And in most cases, the feeling of quote, being myself is so thoroughly mixed with the content of our experience, right? And that is our thoughts, images, feelings, sensations, perceptions, activities, and relationships. That knowledge of our self is veiled or obscured or only partially known. So when we say our being, we are being ourselves without being fundamentally aware of the concept of something like self-inquiry, we are not realizing all of the things and blind spots and stuff that are obscuring what our true self really is. And so as a result of this veiling or forgetting of our essential self or our essential nature, the peace and happiness that is inherent in ourself, or rather that is ourself, it becomes obscured. And as a result, we start seeking outside of ourselves to fulfill ourselves, right? Through spending, or if you are like me, smoking a bunch of weed, or having sex with people to try to find the one. And that the emptiness we feel we so often are are filled with that empty numb feeling it's because we have forgotten our true self you know how they always say you were born perfect that's such a cringy thing to hear sometimes but the root of that saying is that you are actually born a, a clean slate happy to just be You didn't feel like you needed a person to complete you. You didn't feel like you needed clothes, drugs to numb the pain, any of these things. Your essential nature is just beingness. And inside of you is a part of you that knows that you're okay just the way you are. The problem is, is that all this stuff has happened in our lives to make us forget that true nature. And when we forget about that, we feel like we're taking on this great search as we get older. It's like the search to find the one, just the search to find peace or happiness. And this is why even some of the richest, most accomplished people find themselves in therapy and they're like, I have all the money. I have a beautiful wife or partner or lover. I have everything I ever wanted and I still feel empty. And some of these people even may turn to religious or spiritual paths, right? Seeking that same fulfillment through those paths, trying to find peace, happiness through these spiritual paths, whether that be Christianity or maybe it's, you know, a more new age spirituality practice, whatever that may be. But a lot of times, sooner or later, this search can also end up failing where people feel like they lose their faith because they didn't achieve that thing. This religion hasn't fulfilled me. They still feel empty. And then at some point, right, it becomes clear that everything that we've been searching for, we can't find it from objects, substances, activities, states of mind, or other people. And this aha moment, this 
this moment of understanding, it may just dawn on us spontaneously, or it may be thrust in our face as a result of an experience of great suffering or loss, like a breakup or the death or loss of someone. And usually this understanding, either spontaneously or because of a book that we read or a loss that we have, with every person that goes through this experience, this human experience, we often find turning towards ourself the one place that we have actually not explored, the one place that we never thought happiness would be found. Imagine in your darkest moment, someone tells you, everything you need is already within yourself. That's why you're like, yeah, fucking right. (laughs) I'm a hot ass mess. How could that be true? But this very act of turning away from the content of experiences, people, places, things in which we were previously seeking happiness and completion towards ourselves and our own essential nature is the essence of what self-inquiry is about. It's why in many major religions or spiritual practices, why people meditate or pray It's turning inward. And it's a universal thing that we can all relate to. Self-inquiry is the investigation into the nature of ourselves. And I found some questions that help us tune into the state of mind of self-inquiry. These are questions like, What is the essential nature of myself? Who am I really? And these questions make up the basis for so many of the world religion and spiritual practices. In the Sufi tradition, whoever knows their self knows their Lord. That is a very famous quote. That is whoever knows the essential nature of their self knows the ultimate reality of the universe. In Buddhism, there is a quote, samsara and nirvana are one, meaning that the nature of the world and the essence of the mind are the same thing. They're identical. The words know thyself are carved above the entrance to the temple of Apollo at Delphi in Greece. What does this all mean is that The very foundation of what it means to be human is knowledge of ourselves. It's not how everyone else affects us. Peace and the keys to finding a life experienced as worth living is through the knowledge of ourselves. To me, this is such an important episode and such an important thing to talk about because as I said at the beginning of this talk that we're having right now, I was really turned off by religion and spirituality before because I had it forced down my throat as something that I had to do and the way I was raised and the religions that I was brought up in I was around people who preached part of these religions that were very exclusionary towards people that I loved, right? I encounter a lot of homophobic messaging 
in the religious experience that I had growing up. I encountered a lot of like othering where people said, you know, we're the only ones going to heaven. And this kind of stuff really turned me off. And so it's such a shame that little Molly got turned off so quick to spirituality at such a young age because there were gems there that could have really helped me learn and know myself better, but I was not exposed to those concepts. And quite frankly, if I'm being really honest with myself, I don't think I had the capacity to really understand them at that age, but just being exposed to them at a younger age, these things that I'm talking about now, these to me are the building blocks of spirituality. These are the things that I plan on instilling in my children when I have them. When I learn about these aspects of spirituality, I understand why this is the part of spirituality that Marshall Linehan decided to include in dialectical behavior therapy and why something like DBT is so effective not only for people with BPD, but for corporations. It's being used in corporations to train managers how to treat their employees better. It's being used in various different ways. There's a reason why these parts of spirituality have been taken and have been so powerfully transformative for so many people. This is why I want to expose you, my listeners, to these pieces that I found really, really helpful. And as I said, take what resonates and leave the rest. These are the things that have resonated for me. This is like the core, the kernel of spirituality that helps us really, really find wholeness. These are the parts of spirituality that have helped me overcome that chronic, empty, numb feeling that so many of us with complex trauma and BPD and other mental health ailments struggle with. It's what helps people find a sense of meaning and understanding of themselves, the world around them, and other people. When you become better at things like self-inquiry, life isn't easier, but as I said, you can surf those waves of life that are inevitable like a professional fucking surfer and not just some newbie with their at their first time on the board, right? <laughs> I'm not a surfer, by the way, so like this is a really rough <laughs> metaphor that I'm using. But you get what I'm trying to say. Another concept of self-inquiry is paired with this practice called outing yourself. And I think this is also from Radically Open DBT Therapy. Have you ever noticed that sometimes other people know things about you that you don't? especially maybe like your significant other or something. They notice that you do something. Like, Did you know that you always fill in the blank? And you're like, oh shit, I actually do do that. <laughs> Outing ourselves takes advantage of the fact that others have a different perspective and may see things that we don't. And that might sound really obvious, But so many of us that are struggling with our mental health, specifically BPD, CPTSD type stuff, we really are just convinced that our perception is the only perception. 
So outing ourselves, and by the way, like whenever I think here outing myself, it's like forcing someone to come out about their sexuality. That's not what this is. It's just, it's thinking about this as an, it's in a different way. But this concept of outing ourselves involves sharing the personal insights or understandings developed from our self-inquiry process with trusted others. And I'm going to really, really um, make that very clear. Trusted others, not just oversharing with anybody and anyone and everyone. So this can be really helpful while we're trying to understand our blind spots. By sharing our internal experience with other people, especially those people that we are trying to build intimacy with, they can give us feedback by either validating our experience or explaining how their experience might be different. Notice how I don't say invalidating because just because someone doesn't validate that your experience is is like their experience doesn't mean they're necessarily invalidating us. I think that's a really important distinction, especially in this day and age where I see so often, especially in the BPD community, people saying, you're invalidating me. You're invalidating me. It's like, not always. Just because my experience doesn't match yours doesn't necessarily count as invalidating. So right, outing ourselves is getting feedback from the people closer to us to say like, does this match? I'm actually, I find that I often interrupt other people. I have a really hard time letting people finish what they have to say before I say something else. So whenever they're talking, instead of listening to them, I'm actually bursting with the next thing that I want to say. I've shared that actually with my partner and he said, you know what? Yeah, I, I I actually do find that you do interrupt me a lot. And I don't think it's coming from a bad place. He's like, I can see that you're just really excited to share what you have to say but it actually makes me feel like you're not listening to what I'm saying. And that's an example of outing yourself around people that you love. So outing yourself can be helpful when self-inquiry shows us parts of ourselves that we might feel ashamed of or we don't want to acknowledge. And outing yourself involves courageously going opposite to the tendencies to want to hide those parts of ourselves that don't really need to be hidden. Outing ourselves to our trusted others can bring us closer together through the courageousness of sharing vulnerable thoughts and feelings. I've shared this example on the podcast before many times, but it comes up again now as a really good example of this. I so often will just while I'm throughout my day, I will just get into a mood immediately. I'll be in the kitchen or something and Zaz is very hyper aware to my emotional states and he'll be like, are you okay? Because I'll just immediately take a tone with him and be kind of just annoyed for no reason. It just, my emotional state changes and I'm not okay. And he's like, are you okay? And I'll go, I'm fine. I'm fine. He's like, well, clearly you're not fine. And I would just get really pissed off and go about my day and maybe be in a mood for a while. But an example of, because I was ashamed. I was ashamed that I didn't know how I felt. And I felt scared to tell him, Zaz, I I actually don't know how I feel. I feel not okay. I don't know how to put a name to this feeling, but I'm ashamed to share that with you because it's embarrassing that I don't know how I feel. 
But I courageously shared that with him one day where I said, I just started crying out of nowhere, I think. And I just said, I I don't know how I feel. I just feel not okay. And there's no reason for it. And he said, you know what, Molly, that actually makes me feel so much closer to you that you just openly admit that. And I can just be here for you in that moment until that feeling passes. That's an example of choosing to share something that I didn't need to feel ashamed about. And it was actually worse me just shoving it down. And I could share that moment of self-inquiry with Zaz and feel closer to him. And he felt closer to me because of it. This is a really powerful way to reduce shame because our brain is telling us there is something that you need to be ashamed of. Don't open up. But when we act courageously and embrace this self-inquiry and share it allows us to combat that voice in our heads that's saying something's wrong with you don't tell them you don't know how you feel we can reduce and demolish that shame by saying i don't know how i feel and the magic in that moment is as can share with me you know sometimes i don't know how i feel either All of a sudden you're with someone and you're with another person and you can share in a moment where you both are really embracing what it feels like to be human. And instead of feeling both me feeling freaked out and scared because I don't know how I'm feeling and Zaz walking away saying, what the fuck is going on? We created a moment of connection. We don't have any answers. Neither of of us know what the fuck to really do other than just be there for each other and share that moment of vulnerability. And that is intimacy and connection right there. That is self-inquiry. We didn't solve any problems. We didn't fix anything. We were just there. And I was aware of my thoughts, behaviors, actions. I was aware of myself in that moment. And And we just relaxed into the presence, the beingness. Something cool that I learned about the ancient Hindus is... They had a ton of requirements for seekers, people who had a deep desire to learn the spiritual knowledge, the ancient teachings. And these great teachers in the ancient Hindu religion, they wanted to find someone who already had the ability to distinguish between the transient and the permanent. Someone who understood that the world would not provide them with happiness. Who had concentration and faith and wasn't too involved with the pleasures of life. And had a deep desire for self-knowledge. And as I learn these things, I'm like, I love learning this stuff because it just goes to show that even something like DBT that is so life-changing therapy. These ancient Hindu schools wanted to help people reduce splitting behaviors. They wanted to make sure that people learned to reduce their black and white thinking, to understand that the world is not providing them with happiness, that it's already within themselves. And not to focus on all the things that they could get out of life, that everything is is within And nothing's really changed since then, right? Even in therapy, wherever, whatever type of therapeutic modality you're doing. And if you aren't in therapy, if you went into therapy, a therapist is going to try to help you accomplish these things 
in various different ways with various different tools and different books and different thoughts and ways of achieving it. But do you see how it's all the same? It's all knowledge of the self and knowledge of the self is something that we can achieve through our own pursuit. So if you don't have access to therapy, don't think that you can't achieve this. You can. Therapy is amazing if you can have access to it and you find the right therapist. But I want to fill you with hope that you can start self-inquiry and this journey on your own too. The key requirement for self-inquiry and self-knowledge is a quiet mind. This means a mind that's not overrun with distracting thoughts. The mind doesn't need to be perfectly quiet though, right? Because that's not even possible. It's just quiet enough. It's a mind that has the ability to take a pause and recognize that those racing thoughts, they are not you. They're just your program running, right? It's the ability to switch that off for a second, turn inward and say, what does this feeling say about me right now? What can I learn about myself in this moment? How can I take control of my reaction in this moment? That's the point. To be able to get to a place where we can really derive benefits from self-inquiry is basically what I'm describing to you. It's having a bit of a quiet mind, quieter mind, because no one has a quiet mind. It's not possible. And then being honest about what you want. You have to be honest about what you want. You can tell yourself that you want to be spiritual or that you want to be a better person, that you want to find a life experienced as worth living and you want to end this cycle of suffering that you're in. But if you don't really want it, and I mean really want it at your core, you're not going to pursue it. Often we don't pay attention to our actual feelings and instead we tell ourselves a story about what we want. A flattering story, a story that maybe our parents and society would like us to believe. And some of us tell ourselves that we're ambitious when we're not. We would be happy with maybe a simple job that doesn't pay much and isn't particularly prestigious. Some of us tell ourselves we want to lose weight or quit smoking or whatever when we actually don't want that. We just know that we shouldn't be doing these things or that we should want these things and so we tell ourselves the story. And of course, it's not always that simple. We can always have conflicting desires too. We might want to lose weight, for example, but we also maybe want to keep drinking. But then we should be honest with ourselves about that conflict, right? That's the thing of saying, I have an attachment to drinking still, but I also want to lose weight. Or I want to stop smoking weed and I know it makes me paranoid, but I'm also really, really attached to the ability that it gives me to detach from my feelings, right? Acknowledging that there's a conflict there rather than just suppressing it is a really powerful thing to be able to do. This means sometimes writing it down. Writing down what you want and noticing if some of the behaviors and things you're doing in your life are actually 
opposite, contributing to the opposite desired effect. And that's going to bring up some stuff for you. But the beauty of getting all this down on paper, it allows you to see what you really want. And what has helped me is like writing down what you want and saying, is this a belief that's been instilled in me by society? Like, do I actually want this? Or is it something that I made to feel that I should want? And then writing it down other things that you know that you really do want, like wanting to start your own business or something like that. And then being really honest with yourself about some things that you do that really stand in your way of accomplishing that goal. And the key is to not have shame or turn this into an exercise of beating up on yourself. No, this is self-inquiry. This is starting to learn more. You don't have to do anything about it right away. A huge accomplishment is just sitting down, getting out a piece of paper and doing this. Most people never do this, my friend. So if today you can sit down with a piece of paper and say like, I am going to start learning what self-inquiry is about. I'm going to write down what I want and I'm going to ask myself, why do I want this? Is it something I genuinely want? Do other people want it for me? Am I doing things that are standing in the way? Why do I do those things? How can I maybe do a tiny step forward in removing one of those behaviors, starting to work on those things? This is the key. This is where therapy becomes helpful. And something that I'm starting to learn, I'm really starting to realize how much I resonate with more psychoanalytic psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, right? And if you are a psychology nerd like me, these types of therapy are more expensive. They take longer. The reason why certain therapies like CBT are covered by insurance is because you can get done with them in eight to 10 sessions. And statistically they can say they're doing better after this insurance will pay for it. The reason why things like Jungian analysis or psychoanalysis often aren't covered by insurance, or you find that these therapists don't take insurance is because these therapeutic relationships go deep. They are not quick fixes for symptoms They help bring your unconscious tendencies to light and heal them through the powerful relationship that you have with your therapist. And it takes time and money that many people don't have. I myself don't even have the money to find a psychoanalytic therapist even though I would very much love my dream that I can share with all of you is to work with a Jungian analyst. I would love that more than anything in the world, but these types of therapies are really expensive. And so they're even less accessible. I consider myself to be really privileged. I have a good job um, that pays me pretty well, my nine to five, but even I can't even fathom putting that much money a month towards this type of therapy. This is something that people have to dedicate a lot of resources to. But the beautiful part about all of this is that we can do this process of self-inquiry ourselves through this thought and practice that I'm sharing with you. It's just that these therapists are 
highly skilled and trained at what they do. And maybe you could make progress a bit faster or have realizations in working with them that you may not have doing doing it on your own. But we can do this stuff on our own too. There are powerful realizations we can have on our own. The point here though is that we need to have dealt enough with our emotions to learn how to be honest with ourselves, dealt with our past trauma, and gotten our minds in a place that we are ready to be able to proceed effectively with self-inquiry. I can tell you that five years ago, I don't think I had the capacity to do this. I was so reactive. I was so stuck in my ways and so convinced that I was not the problem. I wish more than anything I could go back in time and just shake that girl and show her her future self so that I could save myself some of that unnecessary suffering that I went through. So it is my hope that my voice now can reach even just one of you listening to be that like awakening moment for you. That's why I started my podcast is so that maybe I could be that voice that another version of me out there in this universe hears to help save them at least just a couple more years of self-inflicted suffering. The idea here is that you are already what you seek. I want to say that again. You are already what you seek. The idea of self-inquiry is that you are what you're looking for. The belief that you are a person and all the desire-based thoughts, feelings, and actions based on that deeply ingrained belief, those are the problem. They hide the fact of your true nature. They're distracting you from an underlying constant peace that already exists within you. These self-defeating patterns, coping mechanisms, self-sabotaging behaviors, these are not you. That's not who you are. All those things you feel ashamed about right now, those things that come up, that just send you into a cringe spiral, those are not who you are. Self-inquiry is about uncovering to find out what is underneath all of that. It's like what I say in my podcast intro. So the question is, how do we get rid of these distractions, these coping mechanisms, these blind spots? The answer is that we stop letting them control our life. We stop giving them so much power. We recognize them. We acknowledge them. But little by little, as we stop identifying with them so much, we'll start to touch and understand what the real self is. And that's self with a capital S. When you put in that effort to self-inquire, you'll start to understand what that is. And those are that's something I can't put into words, my friends. It's not. You will just know. And it takes time. It's a practice. And once you start to realize that, it will feel so good. You will experience such a different feeling in your life that I can't put into words. It will 
become easier and easier to stay in that awareness than allowing the mind to go where it used to go. And soon, you know, it will be like the penny drops, the aha moment, the light bulb moment. You'll realize what it feels to have a more spacious mind. But the thing about it is, is that something will happen and you'll be dragged back, right back into your old patterns. You'll slip up because that's part of being human. But the beauty of self-inquiry is you can just repeat that process over and over and go back to that spacious mind. And every time it will get easier and easier. And the cool part about this, my friends, is that I find now that I slip back into one of my old behaviors, I'll do it, right? My, a self-sabotaging thing. And instead of beating myself up because of this self-inquiry process, I'll say, huh, what caused me to do that? What, what can I learn about myself? How can I make sure this doesn't happen again next time? How can I grow from this? And then at a certain point, you'll have burned enough of those old habits and cycles and patterns away that you might not even come back to some of them. And sometimes your perspective will have been permanently altered. There are some things that I used to do that I just don't do anymore now after self-inquiry because I can feel exactly when my edge happens like we described before when I'm, I'm getting to my edge and I recognize that feeling in my body and I go no I know what I tend to do when I get to my edge I'm going to choose to go do something to get myself calmed down before I slip into one of my patterns so look it's not like that part of me that can slip into those behaviors is gone it'll never be gone it's always going to be there but I can choose to identify with my higher self and choose a different outcome. Do you see the difference? And that power is within you too. A curious, open looking is what self-inquiry ultimately requires of you. See what's actually there. Be patient with yourself because it takes time and practice. This is a lifetime thing. This isn't a quick fix. This is something that we have to be engaged in at every waking moment. And it shouldn't be a self-punishing thing. It should be a open, curious, what can I learn? How can I grow? The moment that you start feeling like you're beating yourself up, that's that's when you know you're not doing it in a way that's healthy. Notice how I say you're not not doing it right. There's no right or wrong. There's no black or white, right? It's not a binary thing. But it should not be experienced as a punishment. It should be experienced as open curiosity. What can I learn? How can I grow? What can I do differently next time? What do I want What do I want the outcome to be next time? As many of you know, I'm a big fan of the tarot. And tarot cards for me are not something that I believe tell my future or anything like that. They are powerful symbols. The pictures there, the 
myths and symbols behind these cards are powerful tools to help us with the process of self-inquiry. Tarot cards were really helpful for me in the beginning when I found meditation really difficult and scary and I found it difficult to switch my thoughts off, which I still do. So drawing a tarot card is a really powerful meditative practice that I've found because I have a couple of authors that I really love to read their interpretation of the card and then I just kind of think about what I can take from that message for my life for the day. I don't look up online what does this card mean because there's so many crackpot people (laughs) online that are sharing stuff like it means you will break up with your boyfriend soon or blah 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 blah. No. I'm reading interpretations from people like Rachel Pollack or Dr. Elliot Adam who are extremely intelligent people who have researched symbols and myth and the deeper meaning behind these cards. Now, I wanted to close out today talking about the card for me that represents self-inquiry the most, and that is the Hermit card. Now, the Hermit card in the tarot is of an old man standing with his head slightly bowed. He's in a cloak. He has a beard. He's carrying a staff in one hand, and then in the other hand, he's carrying a lantern that has a star inside of it, and it's glowing to light his path. And in a book I'm reading right now, it says, The hermit holds the lamp of truth. He represents the one who shows the way, illuminating the path for the seekers of the light. He's the source of all personal wisdom and the goal of every endeavor. The hermit has abandoned the conventions of society to follow his own inner convictions. He's no longer merely a mirror reflecting the influences of outside circumstances. The symbol of the hermit represents prudence, caution, and restraint in favor of introspection. An affirmation for the hermit is, I look inward seeking the guidance of my higher self as I journey toward deeper understanding and enlightenment. Now, the book I'm reading from is called Following Your Path, using myths, symbols, and images to explore your inner life, and it's by Alexandra Collins Dickerman. It's like a self-discovery journal, and there are places where you can write and fill in, and it has been such a beautiful tool of self-discovery for me. I wanted to finish by reading a little bit about what Alexandra Collins Dickerman writes about the hermit as a way to finish this episode off. It's just such a powerful message to leave you with. So this excerpt, she titles Taking Responsibility. We can always find answers to the problems that confront us in our lives if we're willing to keep our minds open. First, however, we must operate on the assumption that answers can't be found, which implies that there is some kind of meaning and coherence to life. We're free to believe that either we are born for some purpose or that we're insignificant. Because we have the choice of what to believe, clearly it is to our advantage to choose to believe that life has meaning and to believe in our own significance. When we assume that life has meaning, 
our own lives become important. If we assume that something is true, we'll find the evidence that verifies that assumption. We make choices every minute of our lives. Even when we're in a circumstance in which we seem to have no choice, we can choose how we will react to that circumstance. Usually, however, we're in a position to make decisions and to take responsibility for the things that happen to us. We are in control of things. We control our actions and our reactions to people and experiences. Naturally, we do not have unlimited choices, but if we accept that fact and adjust our attitudes accordingly, we still remain in control of our reactions. No matter how strong the forces may be, external conditions cannot determine who and what we will become. We do that to ourselves. We decide what we will do, and it is we who must continually choose which way we'll go. When something goes wrong, we could decide to see it as a sign of our ultimate failure and go no further. In that case, there's no doubt that unhappiness and displeasure would be forthcoming. On the other hand, we can use discouragement as a challenge to motivate us to fight harder, and we can decide to accept nothing less than our goal. In order to live full lives, we have to make positive choices. Outside conditions are undeniably important, but we have each a say about who we are and who we will become. Our attitude toward ourselves teaches others how to treat us. If we can accept adversity as a natural part of life, we can find the energy to learn from it. We can no longer define hardship as our adversary, but accept it as a natural part of life. It can become a pivotal point in our development. We do not have to interpret adversity as an enemy. Instead, we can see it as an opportunity to grow. Just deciding to make the assumption that we are significant and that life is meaningful is a way of taking responsibility for our lives. We are prompted to assess our experiences in an active way when we think of our lives in terms of what we can contribute. This activity itself is stimulating. This is the activity of life and it brings with it its own satisfactions. Pleasure and happiness are not passive experiences and they are not found in retrospect. Usually we think of happiness as something that comes to us when we are waiting for it, but actually pleasure and happiness are active states. In fact, activity brings pleasure and happiness comes from doing. The hermit has searched long and has found his soul, which provides illumination, wisdom, and peace. No longer is he trusting in the material world. Now that he has found his own inner light, the message of the hermit is that you must look within in order to tap the undiscovered self. The figure of the hermit represents the strength and autonomy of a person who looks within for approval and guidance and is not influenced by outside circumstances or what other people may think or do. The hermit carries his own light from self-understanding, from self-inquiry. He is cloaked and protected from external vicissitudes, carrying the staff of personal responsibility inner authority, and self-confidence. So I'm ending this episode with a little exercise. If you want, you can pause this episode until you get to a place where you have a pen and paper, or you can just do this in your own mind, however it feels comfortable for you. But these exercises can be used to help you clarify in your own mind who you are, where you want to go, and what you want out of life. These are powerful exercises of self-inquiry. 
So here's the first reflection question. What do you like about yourself? List all of your positive attributes. The second, what is good in your life? List everything you have going for you. Your job, a place where you live, your friends, family, education, taste, style, anything you feel good about in your life. Number three, list your accomplishments. Include any obstacle you've overcome and any victory you have achieved. Four, make a list of the most important experiences you've had, the peak experiences that have had a pivotal effect on your life. The second part of the exercise is to list some goals. So the first part of this is number one, list all the things you'd like to change about yourself. Number two, list all the things you would like to accomplish. And number three is list the most important goals of your life, the things you'd like to do, the things you'd like to have, and the things you would like to be. I'll include all of these things in the show notes, these prompts, so that if you'd like to, you can look at them in writing um, if it's easier for you. So if you check out the episode description, I'll list all of these prompts there for you. This exercise is so powerful, right? Because the first part is making assessments of like, where, where are you now? Where would you like to be? So many people don't ever take the time to sit out and ask themselves these questions and write these things. You'd be, you are going to be so surprised when you go through this exercise, how powerful it is. I've put in my Instagram bio this statement or these three words, separation, initiation, and return. This is a really common phrase in alchemy. There are phrases that are like this all throughout spirituality and different religions. But what it means to me is that to find ourselves, we have to separate from the thoughts, behaviors, patterns that are keeping us stuck, sometimes from the society, and look inward and find that initiation, the process of self-inquiry, and return which is going right back out there into the real world and putting some of this stuff into practice. I love each and every one of you so much. I hope that you have found this episode powerful and healing and illuminating. If it brings up feelings of shame and guilt or hard things to deal with, that's okay. As I always say, this stuff is hard. This is not easy to do. So many people in this life never journey inward. They just continue to externalize everything. They continue to react and don't ever acknowledge their own part in the creation of their own reality. But I want something different for each and every one of you. And your path is going to look different than mine the way that you find your your way and your own hero's journey is going to be different than mine. But my hope is that with 
so everything that I've shared today, something clicks within you. And then you can use that as a spark to light your own fire to go find your exact brand of spirituality or what finding yourself, what self-inquiry means to you. Because if you're like me, you've been deprived of this concept whatsoever. So you have to have the concept itself put into your mind in some way for you to be able to then go out into your own life and your own journey and find what that means for you because it's going to mean something different to everybody because we all have different experiences of this life but what is universal is that quote know thyself that is the key and remember there's no finish line to that we will never truly know ourselves because who ourselves are is constantly changing. But the fact that you are on the path, that you are tuned in and switched on to that, that you are in that state of awareness, that you are on the path to self-inquiry, that is everything, my friend. So with that, I hope you have the most amazing week. If you've listened this far, I wanted to thank all my patrons on Patreon I'm on Patreon. I do this podcast free of charge for all of you, but I've had many people reach out to me and say, how can I support you? Like I I want to monetarily support the podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash back from the borderline. And if you would like to, there are tiers as little as $2 a month. If you want to just show your appreciation with a little bit of monetary support, I really appreciate that. I am really excited to announce that we are coming up with a really exciting concept for a merch line that we are going to partner with different mental health charities. And then the proceeds to that also help us continue making this content for free. I've made it a pack that I just never want to do a sponsorship or read an ad on this podcast. So Zaz and I have been thinking like, what are ways that we can give value to our community like maybe cool merch, give back to a charity of our choice and then keep the lights on here so that we can then continue creating content and never have to be at the mercy of a sponsor or an ad. So that's all we're working on over here. And I will roll the outro, which is going to tell you all the usual things, but I just wanted you all to hear a little bit of a personal thing for me about what we're working on and what's coming up. I am really excited because next episode is going to be a really special episode where I interview Dr. Nicole Lepera, the holistic psychologist. I can't believe I started this thing eight months ago and now I am interviewing Nicole, who is someone who has created content that has helped me so much in my own journey to self-awareness. She has an audience of over 4.5 million people and our podcast is going to be broadcasted to her community. And so we're going to just keep growing this amazing space. And I hope to just keep giving back to all of you. That's all I want to do is just pass it on, pay it forward. So I'm going to actually shut up now (laughs) and roll that outro, but have the most beautiful week, my friends. And until next time, know thyself. And in a book I'm reading right now, it says the hermit holds the lamp of truth. 
He represents the one who shows the way, illuminating the path for the seekers of the light. He's the source of all personal wisdom and the goal of every endeavor. The hermit has abandoned the conventions of society to follow his own inner convictions. He's no longer merely a mirror reflecting the influences of outside circumstances. The symbol of the hermit represents prudence, caution, and restraint in favor of introspection. An affirmation for the hermit is, I look inward, seeking the guidance of my higher self as I journey toward deeper understanding and enlightenment. Now the book I'm reading from is called Following Your Path, using myths, symbols, and images to explore your inner life, and it's by Alexandra Collins Dickerman. It's like a self-discovery journal, and there are places where you can write and fill in, and it has been such a beautiful tool of self-discovery for me. I wanted to finish by reading a little bit about what Alexandra Collins Dickerman writes about the hermit as a way to finish this episode off. It's just such a powerful message to leave you with. So this excerpt she titles taking responsibility we can always find answers to the problems that confront us in our lives if we're willing to keep our minds open first however we must operate on the assumption that answers can't be found which implies that there is some kind of meaning and coherence to life we're free to believe that either we are born for some purpose or that we're insignificant because we have the choice of what to believe Clearly, it is to our advantage to choose to believe that life has meaning and to believe in our own significance. When we assume that life has meaning, our own lives become important. If we assume that something is true, we'll find the evidence that verifies that assumption. We make choices every minute of our lives. Even when we're in a circumstance in which we seem to have no choice, we can choose how we will react to that circumstance. Usually, however, we're in a position to make decisions and to take responsibility for the things that happen to us. We are in control of things. We control our actions and our reactions to people and experiences. Naturally, we do not have unlimited choices, but if we accept that fact and adjust our attitudes accordingly, we still remain in control of our reactions. No matter how strong the forces may be, External conditions cannot determine who and what we will become. We do that to ourselves. We decide what we will do, and it is we who must continually choose which way we'll go. When something goes wrong, we could decide to see it as a sign of our ultimate failure and go no further. In that case, there's no doubt that unhappiness and displeasure would be forthcoming. On the other hand, we can use discouragement as a challenge to motivate us to fight harder, and we can decide to accept nothing less than our goal. In order to live full lives, we have to make positive choices. Outside conditions are undeniably important, but we have each a say about who we are and who we will become. Our attitude toward ourselves teaches others how to treat us. If we can accept adversity as a natural part of life, we can find the energy to learn from it. We can no longer define hardship as our adversary, but accept it as a natural part of life. It can become a pivotal point in our development. 
We do not have to interpret adversity as an enemy. Instead, we can see it as an opportunity to grow. Just deciding to make the assumption that we are significant and that life is meaningful is a way of taking responsibility for our lives. We are prompted to assess our experiences in an active way when we think of our lives in terms of what we can contribute. This activity itself is stimulating. This is the activity of life and it brings with it its own satisfactions. Pleasure and happiness are not passive experiences and they are not found in retrospect. Usually we think of happiness as something that comes to us when we are waiting for it, but actually pleasure and happiness are active states. In fact, activity brings pleasure and happiness comes from doing. The hermit has searched long and has found his soul, which provides illumination, wisdom, and peace. No longer is he trusting in the material world, now that he has found his own inner light. The message of the hermit is that you must look within in order to tap the undiscovered self. The figure of the hermit represents the strength and autonomy of a person who looks within for approval and guidance and is not influenced by outside circumstances or what other people may think or do. The hermit carries his own light from self-understanding, from self-inquiry. He is cloaked and protected from external vicissitudes, carrying the staff of personal responsibility, inner authority, and self-confidence. So I'm ending this episode with a little exercise. If you want, you can pause this episode until you get to a place where you have a pen and paper, or you can just do this in your own mind, however it feels comfortable for you. But these exercises can be used to help you clarify in your own mind who you are, where you want to go, and what you want out of life. These are powerful exercises of self-inquiry. So here's the first reflection question. What do you like about yourself? List all of your positive attributes. The second, what is good in your life? List everything you have going for you, your job, a place where you live, your friends, family, education, taste, style, anything you feel good about in your life. Number three, list your accomplishments. Include any obstacle you've overcome and any victory you have achieved. Four, make a list of the most important experiences you've had, the peak experiences that have had a pivotal effect on your life. The second part of the exercise is to list some goals. So the first part of this is number one, list all the things you'd like to change about yourself. Number two, list all the things you would like to accomplish. And number three is list the most important goals of your life, the things you'd like to do, the things you'd like to have and the things you would like to be. I'll include all of these things in the show notes, these prompts, so that if you'd like to, you can look at them in writing um, if it's easier for you. So if you check out the episode description, I'll list all of these prompts there for you. This exercise is so powerful, right? Because the first part is making assessments of like, where, where are you now? Where would you like to be? So many people 
don't ever take the time to sit out and ask themselves these questions and write these things. You'd be, you are going to be so surprised when you go through this exercise, how powerful it is. I've put in my Instagram bio this statement or these three words, separation, initiation, and return. This is a really common phrase in alchemy. There are phrases that are like this all throughout spirituality and different religions. But what it means to me is that to find ourselves, we have to separate from the thoughts, behaviors, patterns that are keeping us stuck, sometimes from the society, and look inward and find that initiation, the process of self-inquiry, and return which is going right back out there into the real world and putting some of this stuff into practice. I love each and every one of you so much. I hope that you have found this episode powerful and healing and illuminating. If it brings up feelings of shame and guilt or hard things to deal with, that's okay. As I always say, this stuff is hard. This is not easy to do. So many people in this life never journey inward. They just continue to externalize everything. They continue to react and don't ever acknowledge their own part in the creation of their own reality. But I want something different for each and every one of you. And your path is going to look different than mine the way that you find your your way and your own hero's journey is going to be different than mine. But my hope is that with so, everything that I've shared today, something clicks within you. And then you can use that as a spark to light your own fire to go find your exact brand of spirituality or what finding yourself, what self-inquiry means to you. Because if you're like me, you've been deprived of this concept whatsoever. So you have to have the concept itself put into your mind in some way for you to be able to then go out into your own life and your own journey and find what that means for you. Because it's going to mean something different to everybody. Because we all have different experiences of this life. But what is universal is that quote, know thyself. That is the key. And remember, There's no finish line to that. We will never truly know ourselves because who ourselves are is constantly changing. But the fact that you are on the path, that you are tuned in and switched on to that, that you are in that state of awareness, that you are on the path to self-inquiry, that is everything, my friend. So with that, I hope you have the most amazing week If you've listened this far, I wanted to thank all my patrons on Patreon. I'm on Patreon. I do this podcast free of charge for all of you, but I've had many people reach out to me and say, how can I support you? Like I I want to monetarily support the podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash back from the borderline. And if you would like to, there are tiers as little as $2 a month. If you want to just show your appreciation with a little bit of monetary support. I really appreciate that. 
I am really excited to announce that we are coming up with a really exciting concept for a merch line that we are going to partner with different mental health charities. And then the proceeds to that also help us continue making this content for free. I've made it a pack that I just never want to do a sponsorship or read an ad on this podcast. So Zaz and I have been thinking like, what are ways that we can give value to our community? Like maybe cool merch, give back to a charity of our choice, and then keep the lights on here so that we can then continue creating content and never have to be at the mercy of a sponsor or an ad. So that's all we're working on over here. And I will roll the outro, which is going to tell you all the usual things, but I just wanted you all to hear a little bit of a personal thing for me about what we're working on and what's coming up. I am really excited because next episode is going to be a really special episode where I interview Dr. Nicole Lepera, the holistic psychologist. I can't believe I started this thing eight months ago, and now I am interviewing Nicole, who is someone who has created content that has helped me so much in my own journey to self-awareness. She has an audience of over 4.5 million people, and our podcast is going to be broadcasted to her community. And so we're going to just keep growing this amazing space. And I hope to just keep giving back to all of you. That's all I want to do is just pass it on, pay it forward. So I'm going to actually shut up now (laughs) and roll that outro, but have the most beautiful week, my friends. And until next time, know thyself. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.